Hey, it's Tony from Adafruit, and I wanted to do a quick look at Scratch, which is a visual programming language in the context of the Raspberry Pi, so like using Scratch to control hardware or just play with it a little bit. Uh, and you might wonder like, okay, why are you messing with, you know, this little kid's toy? Uh, but it's actually pretty interesting, and I think it's kind of cool if you look at the Scratch visual programming language. You know, even as an adult, it's interesting to look at it as, uh, you know, a good thing to show to kids and children. Because usually, you know, especially if you're a pretty experienced programmer, you're going to have people coming up to you asking, like, okay, how do I get started? And if you're starting from ground zero, Scratch is a pretty good place, I think, to go uh, and, and check out. So I think it's pretty neat that the Raspberry Pi, it comes with Scratch by default installed on, like, the full versions of the Raspbian operating system. So you've got it already. It's there. You know, you can open up, check it out, kick the tires a little bit. And I'll show you some interesting things it can do. So it can actually control some of the hardware on the Raspberry Pi. Like you can blink some LEDs or even read a switch. And you might not have realized that. It was only within, I think, the last year or so that they've added some of those capabilities. So let's just kind of dive in. Uh, this will probably be a little bit of a quick, quick look, uh, but we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. So uh, let's go to the main shot real quick. And I'll show you what I've got here. So I've got the Raspberry Pi. This is the Pi 3, but any Raspberry Pi works. Um, I do recommend the Pi 3 if you're doing stuff with Scratch because you're going to need to use the desktop mode of the Raspberry Pi. So like use the, you know, the video output, hook it up to a monitor. And the Pi 3 is really the, the one that's the most usable with the desktop. Like it feels like a real computer. If you use the 2 and even that Model A, the original ones, uh, they're really slow, so have some patience. Uh, but Scratch, luckily, it's not a very demanding application, so it's still usable on those older systems. It's just you might be a little bit frustrated. Uh, and like I mentioned, you probably do want to hook up a uh, HDMI output or a video output. And I also have a uh, mouse and a keyboard hooked up, just a little wireless one here. So that, that'll help. Uh, but I do actually have my Pi connected over VNC, which is like using the graphical desktop environment over a network connection. So on my Mac machine here, it's actually looking at the uh, desktop from the Raspberry Pi. And I'll put a link in the description below. We've got a great tutorial that walks you through exactly how to do this. You just have to install a little software package. So look in the description below when this goes up on YouTube and I'll have a link here. Follow this and then you can have exactly what I have right here where I've got a little connection to my Pi so I don't have to have the monitor and stuff set up for it. But you do have to do some initial setup to get to this state. So, you know, you're, you're gonna have to connect to the Pi somehow to, to get this set up. Uh, but once you do that though, you've got the desktop and you can play with Scratch. And so I'll put a link this is the homepage for Scratch. And so Scratch has been around a lot longer than the Raspberry Pi. Uh, it's been a visual programming language from a group at MIT, I believe, called the Lifelong Kindergarten Group. I think I've got that correct. Uh, but basically, you know, people that are interested in how do you teach programming, uh, because as an experienced programmer, you know, you just think like, oh, you just need to learn if and while loops and, you know, functions and all these things. It's easy. You know, it only took me like 10 years to figure it out. So you can see that that's maybe not the best for beginners and especially children uh, who maybe aren't, you know, developed enough to think through all these really complex logic things uh, that you sometimes need to deal with in programming. So that was their, I think, uh, thought around making this a visual language where, you know, you can represent the exact same types of control flows. Like if you look right here, this is showing a visual program and this is a loop right here. So it's like repeating things 10 times, 
moving characters around, playing sounds, stuff like that. But these are all blocks that you can move around so that, you know, if you wanted to change this and maybe add like another sound that you're going to play, you drag a sound block onto here instead of having to know like, oh, you know, I'm inside of this for loop and inside of there, there's a certain context where all these variables are allowed. And, you know, there's a certain format for the, uh, the commands that I need to write and I need to make sure that I end with a semicolon and all, you know, all of that little baggage that gets in the way of just learning the core of, you know, I have these instructions, I want them to run in this order, I have this logic that I want to apply to it. Uh, so it simplifies that and I think that's pretty cool and pretty interesting. And even as an experienced programmer, like I might not use Scratch myself, but I like to be familiar with it so that, like I said, I can recommend it to people or say, hey, check this out. You know, you want to get started. This is a really cool place uh, to go with it and, and try it out. And the other reason I want to look at this too is because I actually am looking at Scratch. So, you know, we'd love to do more interactions between Adafruit hardware and Scratch. And so uh, part of that is we need to know how this thing works uh, and how we can extend it. So that's kind of the purpose of this quick look. Well, I'll show you a few things that I learned with Scratch uh, that'll hopefully be useful as far as like how to use it with the Raspberry Pi. Now, the one thing to check out, the, the raspberrypi.org website does have a lot of really good info on using Scratch um, because unfortunately, I won't go too much into the background of this, um, but Scratch is in a little bit of a weird spot right now in that, you know, Scratch, it existed way before the Raspberry Pi. Um, it started out as a desktop application. Nowadays, desktop applications are not nearly as pop popular as they were. Uh, you know, everyone has phones and web pages and things. Uh, so there's a version of Scratch called Scratch 2.0 or 2.x or, you know, the next version of Scratch, which is more of a web-focused thing, and it was built using Flash. And unfortunately, now Flash is kind of gone out of favor. Uh, but I think from what I understand, they're working on a new system or at least another version of Scratch that's going to use a different framework, be more web-friendly. So I think a few years from now, it'll probably be really clear, you know, there's one Scratch that you want to use that hopefully works across all the platforms. For now, you've got this weird state where if you use Scratch on your desktop, you're probably going to use a version that's different than what's on the Raspberry Pi. So the Raspberry Pi ships with a version of Scratch, the older version of Scratch, so it's more like a desktop application. So just something to be aware of. You don't like bog yourself down trying to figure this stuff out. You know, but if you do notice like, wait, Scratch looks a little different on my computer versus on the Raspberry Pi, that's the difference. They're different versions and it's getting worked out. Hopefully it is. Uh, but stick with the Raspberry Pi documentation because they kind of lead you on the right path from what I've seen here. Um, you know, they tell you to use the version of Scratch on the Raspberry Pi. So I'll put a link to this little getting started guide. Uh, this is a really good one. It just tells you, you know, here's how to run Scratch. And when you run it, it tells you, okay, this is what you see. So here's the window here, you know, the different parts of it. Uh, so really good stuff to skim this. It tells you some basics of how to get started. Even if you are experienced, you should probably look at this because the UI for this old version of Scratch can be a little confusing uh, to, to get started with. So check this out. And then we'll also look at, there's a nice little write-up about how to use GPIO or basically control, you know, the pins on the Raspberry Pi. So you can't see them because I have the little, um, cable right here connected up that expands out the GPIO. And I've got a few things connected to it over here that we'll look at. Uh, but you can actually control the pins on the Raspberry Pi. Now you can't control them with the same uh, power as you can with like Python or, uh, you know, maybe more advanced programming languages. 
but you can do basic things. You can turn on LEDs, you can read a switch, and you can combine that with all the other stuff in Scratch. So you could build like a game, you know, maybe have characters moving around a screen and you're pressing buttons to do things with that. So still a lot of power uh, to be had here. So let's just dive in. Like I said, I'm connected to the graphical desktop environment. I'm running the latest version of Raspbian Jesse uh, and the full version, not the light version. Because if you get the light version, you're not going to have the desktop. You won't have Scratch. Uh, you'll have a lot of problems. So go for the full version. And if you go to the menu, under programming, you want to pick the Scratch option down here. And so this will load Scratch up. And you can see here's Scratch. This is what it looks like when it runs. So like I said, you know, it's a desktop application. Um, I don't know what framework they used uh, to write this. It looks like some kind of custom GUI that they used uh, for this, which isn't a bad thing because this is a cross-platform. Uh, but it's, you know, it doesn't maybe necessarily look like a lot of other desktop apps. Um, so it's, uh, it's pretty standard as far as desktop apps go. Now, again, I'm not super familiar with Scratch, but I, I, I'll kind of walk you through what I know here. So on the right, this is kind of the, the canvas because Scratch, you know, it's not meant just for controlling like the outputs on the Raspberry Pi. You can build visual things with it. So think of this as like the output or, or, you know, if you were making a game, this is like the play area. So it starts out with a little character here and you can drag him around. And this is this guy right here. So it has like a sprite or uh, you can give it a name. So we'll say, um, I don't know, we'll call this Scratch the Cat. Um, Oh wait, I'm not using the right keyboard here. This is a little confusing. I have uh, multiple mice and keyboards uh, for my Raspberry Pi here. All right, we'll call this guy Scratch, uh, Scratch the Cat, uh, Scrath. There we go, Scratch. Uh, so you can name him, and you notice here, like it's showing here's his position, you know, the direction he's pointed. Because if you see on the left here, there are all these blocks, and these are actually the blocks that you assemble into a program in Scratch. And so the blocks here, you can see there are different tabs, like the motion tab, looks tab, sound tab, all kinds of things here. So these motion blocks control for this sprite the actions that it will take. And you can just drag blocks onto the script area here. So like move 10 steps, you know, maybe turn 15 degrees, uh, and then maybe move 10 more steps or something. So these could be some actions. And when this runs, it tells this character, okay, move 10 steps, rotate yourself, which I can't do with the mouse, and then move, you know, another 10 steps down uh, there. So that's what you do. Now, the one little thing that kind of tripped me up as an experienced pers uh, person, because I thought, hey, I don't need to read the instructions. Uh, you need more than just these steps here. You need something to tell this script how to start. And so in this control area, now you've got some options. So this top one is probably what you want. So when the green flag is clicked, and I'll drag it up to the top, uh, then basically it'll start the execution of this little block of script here. And by the way, all of the blocks, they flow vertically. So they start from the top, and then actually when I click this, it actually invoked it. Uh, they start from the top, and then they flow downwards. And you can see how these things, you know, each of the blocks has a little tab. And so there's a little tab at the top here that tells you, you know, hey, something can come before this. And then I've got a tab down here, so something can come after this. So if you drag blocks close together, you can see kind of lights up and says, okay, I'll connect both those together so that when the green flag is clicked, it's gonna go through step by step and run each of these steps. So it's gonna move 10 steps forward, turn 15 degrees, move 10 steps forward. So I'll, if I click the green flag here, you can see it goes through and it runs the whole program and I can keep clicking it. And so he's just kind of spinning in a circle, which makes sense because you know he's turning 15 degrees. Now I can change these values if I say like, you know, let's turn 60 degrees and maybe move 20 steps next time. So let's see what he does here. So now it's kind of like a bigger, you know, he moved a lot more. Uh, or maybe I can say, let's move 100 steps forward and then move 60 degrees and 20. So now he kind of slides down and rotates around there. 
So pretty cool, pretty powerful. Now there's a lot more stuff you can do though. So there's all kinds of, especially in this control category, this is where you get into more of the traditional programming uh, kind of stuff, like the blocks and things that you would expect. So you can have things like a loop, you know, a repeat loop. And if I drag this in, I can actually kind of swallow all of those commands so that now whatever is inside of this repeat block is gonna repeat some number of times, so like 10 times, you know. So how about instead of moving 10, 100 steps, let's go back to 10 steps and 15 degrees. So now when this runs, you know, it's gonna do each of these commands, but when it gets down to the bottom of this move, it's actually gonna repeat this whole block some number of times. So it knows that it should only do this 10 times. So if I click the flag, then, you know, this guy should kind of spin in place 10 times. So he'll probably end up, you know, maybe sometime up, uh, somewhere around up here, I would bet. So something like that. So, hey, look at that. He, he just spun around 10 times. Uh, so that's cool. And there's all kinds of stuff you can do. So like you can loop forever if you want. Um, you can put some delays in. You can have an if condition here. So this could be like if something is true or if something's not true, then run a certain block. And we'll come back to these in a second. So there's a lot of capabilities. Oh, and if you want to delete a block, you right click and click delete. And then one thing to be aware of, if you delete blocks that are connected, like if I right click, uh, well, this is actually kind of annoying. You have to like disconnect them. And then if I delete this repeat block, it actually kills the whole block, like everything inside of there. So be a little careful that that can trip people up. Um, apparently they have an undelete that you can use also. So, oh, oh that's kind of weird. It just drags out the last block I had. So, uh, so that's what that does. Um, again, you know, uh, you probably want to kick the tires a little bit. Like if you're going to introduce someone to scratch, um, get a little familiar with it first, because like I said, it, it, some things, um, I wouldn't say that they don't make sense, but it's just, you know, this is kind of older uh, software that's does things in its own way. So uh, make sure that, that you try it out a little bit. Now there's lots of cool stuff. So there's this sensing block here. This is actually sensing in the context of like a character, a sprite right here. So if this thing touches another sprite and you can create other spli uh, sprites, like if I, you know, click this, then, oh wow, you can paint something here. Wow, I didn't even look at this. So hey, we'll make a uh, happy face inside of here. So. There's my happy face sprite, and then I click OK, and hey, look at that, there's this guy here, and I think I can move him around. There we go, yeah, I can pick him up. And see, he can have his own code, or she can have her own code inside of here. So if I wanted, you know, maybe this character is like the good guy that's walking around and scratch the cat's trying to, you know, the bad guy that's maybe trying to chase him, you can have a, a program for that. And then I'm assuming I can go back here, and yeah, so here's the code for scratch the cat. Uh, okay, so, Anyways, though, so you can have different sprites. Now, like I was saying, the sensing stuff, this is all in the context of these sprites. It's not in the context of like things connected to your Raspberry Pi, unfortunately. But you can control stuff with the Raspberry Pi. So that's where this GPIO write-up comes in, uh, where they talk about. So this is something that the Raspberry Pi Foundation has done in the last year or so. They've added some of this GPIO control to Scratch. And it's a little bit of a weird process how they've done it. You actually have to make a little web server. I believe it's a web server that they make. And then there's this broadcast capability in Scratch where you can have like a plugin and there's a broadcast uh, block that you can use. So under control, there's this broadcast block. And so this basically says, hey, tell some plugin to do something. Like I'm gonna broadcast a message. And I wouldn't try to explain this to someone that's completely new to Scratch. And unfortunately, I think this is like 
somewhat of a poor experience for a beginner, at least I assume. I don't have all the context and all of the knowledge and history, and I haven't run, you know, I haven't actually like taught people Scratch like this Scratch team has. So, I mean, maybe people get this, but I would assume that this is probably pretty confusing to people. But anyways, this is how you talk to an extension to Scratch. You use this broadcast block. And so this uh, Scratch GPIO page tells you how to get started. So they've added a few of these broadcast options that are very similar to if you've used like the RPI, GPIO, Python library. You know, if you've used GPIO in a traditional programming language, you kind of know that there's some setup, even in Arduino. So you have to say like, okay, pin 23 is an input and it has a pull-up resistor maybe because I've connected it to a button. Uh, or pin 18 is an output, it's an LED, and I want to turn it on or turn it off. And so there are very specific broadcast commands that you need to send to do those actions in your Scratch uh, program. So they mention there's a config uh, broadcast you can do. So you basically say you broadcast the message config and then the pin number, and it uses the BCM pin numbering, which luckily is the pin numbering on the uh, Pi, uh, Pi GPIO breakout cables that we have. But you, you do want to be careful because there are three different ways to number the pins on the Raspberry Pi. Most things are BCM, not everything though. Uh, but anyway, so you use the BCM pin number, and then you say whether it's an output, an input, uh, or you can actually, and they, they aren't really clear in this, unfortunately, but down here they show you can use a pull down or a pull up resistor. So if I wanted like pin 23 as an input with a pull up resistor, it would be broadcast config 23 in pull up. And I'll show you that, uh, which, you know, that's, this is kind of like magic stuff, I assume. For someone that's completely unfamiliar with this, I don't think it's gonna be easy to explain what this is doing, which isn't necessarily bad. I mean, maybe it's okay to have some magic here, but it would be, wouldn't it be really nice if, you know, there was just a Raspberry Pi set of actions here that like looked like English, you know, turn on this output or read this button or something like that. Um, you know, maybe one day we'll have that. Uh, but for now, this is kind of the state of the world with Scratch on the Raspberry Pi. Okay, so to get started, like I said, you do have to set up your pins. And before you even do that, there's one little gotcha. Or gotcha. Under edit, you need to click this start GPIO server when you run Scratch. And that is this little magic thing, like I mentioned, it's how these extensions work. It has to run this little server in the background. And then Scratch, when you click, when you do these broadcast actions, it's actually talking to that little GPIO server in the background and saying, hey, they, the user sent out this message, config 23 in pull up. I don't know what it means, but hopefully you do. And then that server gets that message and says, oh, config 23 pull up. I know exactly what that means. I'm gonna configure the pin. Uh, or maybe if you send the wrong thing, I, I don't even know if it sends you an error back. We can try it, we'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully it sends you an error, but if it doesn't, ooh, that could be fun to debug. Um, anyway, so, okay. So I've turned on the GPIO server and now let's configure. So on my Raspberry Pi, I have an LED connected to pin 18 and then I have a, a button, just a momentary push button connected to uh, pin 23 on one side of the button and then ground on the other side of the button. So that means I need to use like a pull-up resistor to keep the button uh, input at a high logic level until it's pressed and then it gets pulled down to ground. And for the LED, I do have a resistor. I have a 560 ohm resistor. Uh, the way I have it connected is I have the Raspberry Pi output. So pin 18, this red wire right here, goes to the positive lead, the longer lead on the LED. And then the shorter lead goes through that 560 ohm resistor right here, just down to ground. So that way when pin 18 is at a high logic level, it'll light up the LED. And when it's at a low logic level, it's gonna turn it off here. 
So, okay, so I need to set up these pins. So, uh, and again, this has to happen in the context of like when the green flag is clicked, or I think they have other things like when they receive a certain broadcast event, it looks like you can, you know, do some actions here. Uh, I don't think they have anything else. So I think, I think the basic thing is, you know, you click this to start. And so you need this to kind of initialize your sketch. Now I'm doing this inside of this character script, which again is a little weird and maybe doesn't make sense if you're just doing GPIO stuff. But I think that's just kind of the state of Scratch. You know, like I said, it was built more for uh, making graphical things. And then this Raspberry Pi stuff kind of was bolted onto the side. Um, so, you know, it's, I don't think it's bad, but it's just something to realize that you probably need something graphical here to have your script inside of uh, this, this program. So, okay, so let's configure our LED output. So uh, when I add this broadcast, you know, I dragged it in. It's the first action when the flag is clicked. And then here's where I need to actually give it that config value. And it's a little weird. You have to like add a new message and it keeps a cache of messages so you can reuse them, but it's a little weird. I'm not sure why uh, they do this. Anyways though, so like I said, the config message is what I need. So for my LED, it's gonna be an output and it's on pin 18. So the magic that I need for this is config 18 out as the broadcast message. Um, and then here, let's just do another broadcast. Let's turn the LED on. So we should hopefully see, like if you look right now, it's not turned on. Uh, so if I do for this, so I'll go back to the guide and you basically say GPIO and then the pin number, BCM pin number, and then on or off to turn it on or off uh, with a single action here. So again, we'll say, okay, let's make a new string for this. We'll say GPIO 18 on. Okay, so now when I click the flag, let's see what happens here. So I click this and hey, look, the LED came on. So cool, so that works. Um, and then you can get more advanced here. So, you know, this setup has to happen, I assume every time my script runs. So I'm gonna keep this at the top, but let's add like a forever loop here and let's put our GPIO on inside of there. And then let's put a little delay. So we'll say, okay, we'll wait a second. So we turn the LED on, we wait one second, and then let's put another broadcast in after this. And let's add a new line here and we'll say GPIO 18 off. And then let's add another delay here. So we'll wait a second. And okay, so maybe if you're new to this, like think, okay, what do you think this is gonna do when I run this? So like we can go through the actions. It's gonna start, it's gonna go to this first block. So it's gonna configure pin 18 as an output. Then it's gonna go into this forever block, which means it's just gonna run everything inside of here forever. Uh, so it's gonna start with the first command. It's gonna turn the LED on, wait a second. So it's gonna pause for a second, turn the LED off, wait a second, and then when it's at the bottom here, because it's in that forever loop, it actually goes all the way back to the top to this broadcast, and it repeats this again. So just think, you know, LED on, wait a second, LED off, wait a second. So it should blink, basically. It's gonna just repeat over and over, on and off. So I'll click the flag, and let's see what happens. Uh, so hey, look at that. It looks like it's blinking. So every second, so it stays lit for a second, turns off for a second, stays lit for a second. And you can kind of see as it's going through here, um, you know, what's happening. So that's pretty cool. And you can press this little stop to stop your whole script execution um, for this. So that's kind of the basics of controlling an output, like an LED. And you could go pretty far with this, um, you know, like, sure, you're not gonna talk to like an I squared C sensor. And boy, if you can bit bang uh, like a spy or I squared C with scratch, that would be an achievement. Uh, that, that would be pretty impressive. So I'd like to see that if someone does that. 
Uh, but for like turning LEDs on and off or like talking to a relay, you know, maybe use one of the cool little relays we have in the shop um, that you can hook up uh, devices to some of the power uh, relays where you just need to control, you know, just send a simple digital signal to it and it can turn like 120 volt outlet on or off. Uh, and I don't know, you can like make an internet of things uh, device with that. Maybe have a lamp and then have something with scratch. You know, maybe you have a little program here, some graphical stuff, maybe a button you click and then that tells your Raspberry Pi to control that uh, GPIO pin that turns your light on and off. Um, you could really go uh, crazy and go pretty advanced with this. Uh, the other thing I wanted to show though is that you can also read inputs. So like I have a button hooked up, like I mentioned right there. So let's add some logic to control our button um, inside of here. So I'm gonna pull out, let's just pull everything out and we'll start We'll start over here uh, because it's, it's actually pretty simple. So, okay, so for this, let's. I'm gonna need to do that initialization again. And this time it's pin 23 that I have hooked up. And I want this to be an input and I want it to use a pull-up resistor because the way I've wired it to the button, the momentary push button, one side of it is connected to ground and the other side is connected to the input on the Raspberry Pi. Normally when you configure a pin as an input, it's floating, which means it's not at a high level, it's not at a low level, it's just wherever the stray capacitance and you know the, the electronic field around it is pulling it. Uh, and the Raspberry Pi is reading that. So you might get some funny behavior where if it's not like at a high level or at a low level, it's somewhere in between and it might randomly flicker and change from on to off. Uh, so something to be aware of. Uh, the way to fix that is you can use like a pull-up resistor where you say, okay, you know, unless something is pulling this thing down to ground, it's gonna pull itself up to a high logic level, uh, which is kind of what I want. And luckily they have that built into the Raspberry Pi. So I can say for that pin 23, make an input but turn on a pull-up resistor that's internal to the Raspberry Pi so that if nothing is connected to that pin, it's naturally gonna be pulled up to a high logic level. So whenever the Pi reads that input, it's gonna see, okay, it's true or it's at a high logic level. And then because it's connected to that push button and that the other side of that push button is connected to ground, when I press that push button, it's gonna connect the input to ground and it's a weak pull-up resistor that they have uh, internal to the Pi. So the connection to ground is gonna uh, be more powerful and it's the, the Pi is gonna see that it's a low logic signal now whenever the button is pressed. I think it'll make more sense when I build the sketch and you'll kind of see what's happening here with it. Um, so anyway, so I wanna add that broadcast and this time I wanna do config 23 in pull-up, all one word. It's, it's not the prettiest thing, unfortunately, uh, but this is the syntax that you need. I think you can do just config 23 in, but like I said, it's gonna float. So you're gonna need some external pull-up or maybe you want it to float, uh, but you know that's something to be aware of. Uh, and you can also do pull down, so you can pull it down to a ground and then the other side of your switch you could have connected to like the 3.3 volt output of the Raspberry Pi. Uh, but I think it's simpler and easier. I, I like to use ground and have a pull up here. So we'll say, okay, config pull up for that switch. Um, and then let's see, let's have a loop forever. So again, we'll just, this program's gonna run forever. And now let's put in an if condition here. So I'll show the if block. So the if block is kind of how you execute some set of blocks inside of it only if something is true. And that something is under the operators here. So you need to pick like one of these comparison operators where you say, you know, if a value is less than another value or if a value is equal to a value, and that's actually the one that we want. 
um, and you can combine things. There are lots of different uh, operators they have in here, but let's pick this equal one. And so I want to slot that into the if block. So this just lets you say if two things are equal, like I can say if one and one are equal, and that's always going to be true, or you know, if one equals zero, which is that's always going to be false. Um, but it's more interesting if I have something in here, we'll say we'll keep the right side zero. Um, if I put like, you know, reading that button inside of here. So if the state of that, of that button input is zero, which means it's pressed because it's at a low logic level, then I could do something. It's like when the button is pressed, you know, perform some action here. So, okay, so let's do that. Now, the way to read the inputs, uh, it's in under the sensing tab and it's way down at the bottom. So it's the sensor value block that you want. And if you drag this in, you can use this on one side of your if condition here. And then you wanna open this up and uh, you do need to be careful uh, because basically it needs to know about this broadcast block that says, okay, this is a config uh, of pin 23 as an input with a pull-up uh, resistor. And it should give me the option. So yeah, so notice here, notice before I clicked and it didn't show it and then I clicked everything and now it shows it. So if I go all the way to, uh oh, I'm moving around. If I go all the way down to the bottom so I can see GPIO 23. So it's another weird little quirk I noticed with the integration here and maybe drag this over so you can see it all. Uh, but basically, if you don't have these broadcast blocks that configure things as inputs, they're not gonna show up as a possible input to this sensor value command. And if you do have that broadcast block and you don't see them, click around a little bit. I think it needs to internally refresh its state and then it'll actually show them. So just something to be aware of. But that's that's what I want. So now I can see GPIO 23. So this is basically going to read the value of pin 23, which is connected to one half of this button here. Um, and if this is true, so if this equals zero, which means it's at a low logic level, like the button is pressed, um, then I could perform some action. I, I could do the opposite. I could say if this equals one, which means it's at a high logic level, which means the button is not pressed because it's not pulled down to ground. The internal pull-up resistor is pulling it up to a high logic level. Uh, and then I could have a perform action. So maybe you want to do that, but I want it to do something when you know the button is pressed. And let's just have it spin around the character. So we'll say, we'll go back to motion, and we'll just say, how about like turn 15 degrees, for example. Um, and I'm not even gonna put in a delay. So I, let's see what happens. Like this might happen really quickly. Like we might just see this guy spinning forever, but I think it's gonna be a little bit slower. So, okay, so let's run this. And now we see like, okay, nothing's happening, which is good. Like nothing's blinking or whatever. Now, if I hold down the button, let's see what happens here. Hey, look at that. So he spins around. So I hold it down and then I release it and he stops spinning. And I hold it and he spins, release it like that. So. Pretty straightforward and, and you know, not, not too crazy. Like, I, I like how simple this program is in that, you know, you can see every single step that occurs is an explicit block. You know, I have a loop forever and I can definitely see the value of this for someone that's not familiar with programming because to do this in Python, you'd have to have like a while loop. And so you've got to explain things like indenting code and you know, like conditionals inside of there. And then you've got to have multiple commands inside of there. And like, you've got to explain a whole lot of things. There's all of this process and setup. Whereas right here, it's just like, hey, I want something to loop forever. I'm just gonna put these commands inside of this block. And if I want to change it, I just drag these commands out. Maybe I put in other commands here. You know, it's, it seems a little bit easier to me um, than just diving into code, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then you can kind of see, okay, you know, the actions that occur. So like there's a condition inside of here and we're checking that uh, input value. And then, you know, we're taking some kind of actions here like turning 15 degrees, or maybe I want to move uh, 10 steps forward like that. So let's do that. And then if I run this, now if I press the button, it'll probably slide around in weird ways. So yeah, he's just kind of 
slowly moving himself down like that. So, but hey, that's cool. That works pretty well. Um, okay, so that's basically what I wanted to show. I'll wrap the stream up. Like I said, this is going to be a quick one. Um, so that's Scratch on the Raspberry Pi. Really cool thing to get started with. You know, if you've got some kids or you're working with kids that are using Raspberry Pi, uh, definitely check out Scratch. Like I mentioned, uh, check out the raspberrypi.org tutorials because Scratch itself has multiple versions and you want to make sure you're using the right one for the Raspberry Pi. And then if you want to use the GPIO pins on the Pi, you can do cool stuff like using the LEDs and push buttons. Make sure to read this guide though that kind of tells you how to do it because it's not unfortunately what I would say like a first class citizen in Scratch right now. You have to use these broadcast blocks. I'm hoping, you know, a year or two from now that things will be a little bit more improved and, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there's like just a Raspberry Pi uh, set of blocks inside of here? That, that would be the ultimate thing, I think. Uh, so anyway, so that's Scratch on the Raspberry Pi. Uh, I'll jump back into the main view. If there are questions, throw them in the chat, but I think this is a pretty quick stream, so I don't see any questions in there. So anyways, that was a quick look at Scratch on the Raspberry Pi. I, uh, if you like this stream, then check out twitch.tv slash Adafruit. I stream a couple times per week, so on Mondays I do a quick look, doing this one on Tuesday because yesterday was a holiday. Uh, and then on Fridays, I do a more in-depth stream. And last week, I started a new series on the Raspberry Pi Cat Laser Project. So I'm rebuilding a project that I did three years ago, but making it more advanced and just seeing what's changed since then. So it's a laser toy that you can control uh, through a web page. This will be pretty fun. So uh, this week on Friday, I'll do the next part, the second part in that series. Uh, so tune in if, if that sounds kind of cool to you. That could be a fun project. Uh, and then out throughout the week, I like to do other streams. Like sometimes I'll do a Circuit Playground stream. I don't think I'm going to do a third stream this week. There's just after the holidays, so much stuff backed up that I don't know if I'll have time for it. Uh, but definitely Friday, tune in for that. We'll have that uh, uh, Raspberry Pi deep dive kind of stream. Uh, so that's it. So I'll wrap it up. Uh, you know, like I said, twitch.tv slash Adafruit, youtube.com slash Adafruit. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can see this video when it goes up and all kinds of other fun project videos. We're doing all kinds of fun stuff throughout the week. I just liked yesterday, uh, Lady Ada did a stream uh, and, and PT, uh, the social dining experiment where there's a, a whole kind of thing on Twitch where people live stream eating a meal. So, hey, if there's something cool and new on Twitch, we're going to check it out too. So that's just the way we are at Adafruit. So, hey, maybe we'll have some social dining for me in the future. Uh, but anyways, until then, this is Tony from Adafruit. So like, comment, subscribe. Let us know that this is good stuff and we'll keep making it and we'll keep pumping out the great content like this. So I'll see you guys later. It's Tony from Adafruit.